0: This is episode number 668 of the Inner Fight podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for tuning in, downloading, and listening to this show. Of course, if you are a listener over on the Run Strong podcast, you may have heard this show last week. But sit tight. I'm sure it's worth another listen. This guy is an absolute legend. He first came into Inner Fight. Two years ago, 2018, I remember it so well, he used to wear his lifting shoes for CrossFit classes for the running part as well. Quite strange, but he did, and recently he ran 200 kilometers in the Al Qudra Desert. I chose not to interview him because I've been coaching him for the last two years. I wanted the guys to interview him because I thought it'd be a bit weird if I was doing it. This is Agba, this is his story. Before we go there, shout out to our show sponsors, Smith Street Paleo, see, yeah, I've changed it up. Used to get them in at the start, but now got them in now. Also calling all ladies for the Ladies Run Club, contact Steph S H at innerfight.com, or if you're a man and you want to start to run, Rob Jones, RJ at innerfight.com. And don't forget, I've been saying it for the last few weeks, get into yoga. This stuff is good, it's up here in the studio, in our new home here in Studio City. Go and check it out. Super cool. An hour, stretch, breathe, feel better. It'll work. Let's get into today's show.
1: Welcome to the Run Strong Podcast, episode 48. On my left-hand side, as always, is Rob Jones. As always, I'm here. And to my left-left is our guest this week, Akbar. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. How, well, first of all, two weeks on... My first question is, why are you wearing one sock?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm wearing one sock because that particular foot, the bottom of that foot is completely off.
3: So I'm walking basically on raw skin.
1: Okay, that sets up (laughs) this show really well.
3: He does. The thing is, though, he's been in the car park walking around in circles for the last 30 minutes because he's shorter on that left side.
1: (laughs) So, mate, you've got no skin on the bottom of your right foot, am I correct? Because you ran non-stop for 43 hours, which totaled to 200 kilometers. That's right. Around the Al-Qudra endurance track here, which most people cycle around. Right. (laughs) You were aware of that before you started? (laughs) And most people only cycle it once. (laughs) You ran it four times.
2: Well... As I'm sure when I tell the story, it was two times around the track and then
1: another 100 kilometers around that area. Let's put it that way. Yes, I know. I heard. Well, saw a little bit of it as well. Yeah. Mate, where did this... Let's start from the beginning, which was about two years ago. Am I correct? For Marathon de Saab training? That's right. That's right. Start us off from there. Like, what's your background? Why did you get into running? And we'll go from that. Sure, sounds good.
2: Um, yeah. So about, I'd say two. Well, I joined in a fight a couple of years ago, before I think 2016 or 2017, and I started going to the gym. I wanted to increase my um, fitness level, you know, become more healthier. I had young kids running around, so I wanted to be like, you know, run around with the kids, get a better lifestyle. So I joined in a fight and started really improving my lifestyle, getting my fitness up. And then I reached a stage where I felt like I needed to almost test myself. And I felt um, what was an area that I could test myself in. And around that time, I started having conversations with Marcus about running. Because actually, I wasn't a runner. Like, I'd come to the gym, I'd do the CrossFit class. But running wasn't really in the, in the picture. And it was, all, it was out of my comfort zone, to be honest. I mean, I'd never run more than 10K. So I was like, if I'm really going to do something, you know, and I'm out of my comfort zone, let's do running or do something in running. And um, so obviously most people would think that running, let me go do a marathon. And, but no disrespect to people who do run marathons, but I was like, it's got to be something bigger, like a challenge that really, you know, pushes you. And that was around the time that Rickson had done the MDS the year before. And obviously Marcus had talked about it and stuff, so it was in, in my background. And Rickson was starting to get ready for the next one, so in April 2019. So in October of 2018, I basically sat down with Marcus and I said, I want to do MDS. So he, you know Marcus. He's like, okay, let's do it. Did you then
1: regret saying it to him, or you were like, okay, good, gas." I, yeah. I don't. It was... It
2: was that was the start of something special, you know, so.
3: Did you know anything about MDS before that, or? Zero. Zero.
2: I just knew that it was this race in the desert. Yeah. You know, and I knew a little bit about what Rickson has said. I knew a little bit about what Marcus had told me, but other than that, nothing. And I had zero running background, mm-hmm. you know, so I didn't know what was going to, what that entailed. So obviously, it's from October to Jan, It was basically running. Running, yeah. Getting into the basics of running and getting my endurance up.
1: I remember seeing you at track. Yeah. You were the guy with the arm.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Like, no motion. Yeah. It was, I was, I mean, even now when I see some of the videos and the way I'm running, I'm like, (laughs) what was I doing? (laughs) Like, you know, this is one arm going like this. It was just crazy. (laughs) Yeah. But that's literally where I started from. And I remember that first uh, Track Tuesday that I did. And um, it must have been my first TP or something, because <laughs> my heart rate was like at 190, 200. <laughs> 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 and but that was a start, and you know I just chipped away at it. And so up till January, it was getting my running going, getting my running legs, and building up my endurance. And then from February onwards, we started doing the the actual desert stuff. So we started going into the, the desert, started doing the camps, but I mean, going into April, going into the actual race, I had six months of running experience. But I had the fitness level from the prior two two years ago. Mm -hmm. But that was basically my start. So that's how I rocked
1: up to the Sahara Desert. (laughs) That is incredible, actually. I know that story, but when you just told it back to me, it's even more incredible.
2: Oh, and, and the part that I missed is, so as we started this training from September, October onwards, if you guys remember, November was when then Marcus did his thirty by thirty.
3: That's right. Yes.
2: So the m- so my plan was that on the last his last thirtieth run, which you guys did with him, mm-hmm. was going to be my first ever marathon. And then we have this. I, I you guys won't remember, but it's in my Instagram post. Mm-hmm. It's one of I done. I started that run with everyone when we started. Where Marcus started it was. Uh, was it up by Barasti or somewhere yeah, like exactly. that on the beach? So I ran to Medan. And that was when you guys were just finishing his round and you were running back to finish his run. Mm -hmm. And I'd just got into that that circle. Yes. And then on the way back, I got lost. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd run out of water. So when I ended up in the Burj area, I I had like uh, three kilometers left, but I was completely lost. And I had no water. And then I ran towards where I thought the end was, and I saw Marcus coming, he was leaving, he was going home.:
1: I <laughs> have <laughs> no I'm, idea about like,
2: this. Mate, mate, what are you doing? I'm like, I still have a kilometer left <laughs> to do my 42-point. So he's, he's like, run 500 meters and run five up back. So I did that, and that's how I finished my first marathon.: <laughs> I love how
3: He's getting lost, but the finishing point was the tallest building in the world, <laughs> and he couldn't find it. Exactly. <laughs> it was wild.
2: And that was my first marathon and that was in November. Wow. And then that's just how it all started. And then, you know, April 2019, I went to the Sahara Desert, and then I did uh, MDS.
1: Mate, before we get into what you achieved a few weeks back, there's something about you when you run. You are very happy to be on your own. Am I right in saying that? Absolutely. Do you think that stemmed from that first marathon of being on your own for that amount of time? And getting lost, not being able to find the water. Cause you, d- you don't tell the stories like it was a disaster. You tell the story like this was really fun of yeah. how I did my <laughs> first marathon. <laughs> w- have you always been that person or have you found that you like being more on your own running through running?
2: That's a great question. I think it comes from some part of your personality. So I'm actually very comfortable being by myself. Like, you know, I'm at peace with myself. Yeah. Like I've always yeah. been like that. Like even when I went to college in the States, like, you know, when you want to sit around with have lunch with people, you always want to... I was fine having lunch by myself. Or, like, the weird part is, I don't mind going to see a movie by myself. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Almost like an introvert, but yeah. not in a... You know, I, I think of it as... So the running aspect of it kind of linked in with that because you spend a lot of time training by yourself. You yeah. Think, especially in ultra marathons, you're by yourself... A lot yeah. mm. so it actually f- it, uh, it was just something that i already had so it actually helped me in my ultra journey
3: it's funny yeah especially going from going from crossfit and sort of group community classes where there's so much support and exactly. everyone helping each other to a solitary
2: yeah and that's what i think attracted me to the ultra marathon because i was like there's all these moments when you're by yourself and in mm. your own head and i'm okay with that i want to explore that and then during MDS was the long stage, which was in the middle of the night. And, and that's when it literally, that's when I was hooked into the ultras because that 70 kilometers that I spent through the night in the Sahara Desert in pitch black. I mean, pitch black, but the stars were, the sky was just the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And that moment that I had there was, I mean, for lack of better, it's spiritual. You know, that's the way I tell people. It was just incredible. And that's when I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. This is a cool sport. And that's why when I came back from uh, Morocco and I sat down with Marcus, and the first thing I said to him was, this isn't the end of the race. This is actually the start of the journey. Because I just knew this was going to take me so many different places. Yeah. So it's incredible for people to think, like, you did MDS. That should be in some cases a life goal for people but for me it was, it was it's cool how it worked out you know if I if I'd done smaller races and then gone to MDS maybe I would be like okay cool but the fact that I did MDS as a first race yeah and then experienced everything through that race and everything that went into it I was like wow I need to explore this even more like I know at some point I'm going to go back to MDS because I want to run the course because I've, one thing that I regret about that particular race was because I wasn't really running. Because don't forget, I didn't still have the legs for it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So by the like, 100 kilometer mark, my right leg was gone because it never worked so much <laughs> before. <laughs> so I wasn't really running most of the, the rest of the race. I was shuffling, I was walking, I was scrambling. But the race itself is incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I've said to you, uh, Rob, if you're ever going to do one race, do MDS, because the experience is just magical. And I understand why people keep going back to it. Because the whole environment, running through the desert, like, people think when you're running in the Sahara Desert, it's just a desert. It's not. Sahara Desert has mountains. You know, it has valleys. It has water. It has greenery. It has a salt lake. It's just magic. Yeah. And I felt some of that magic. So when I came back, I was like, Okay, what's next?
3: Yeah. I mean, they, they market it as the, one of the hardest ultra marathons in the world. It's probably going to be one of the biggest multi-stage ultras in the world. I if it not It must there. be the... Yeah. yeah, thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, but it's not year, hard. It? I mean, I, not to
2: sound... I can say now that, in relatively speaking, it's not hard. Yeah. You know, because you're running, what, 30 to 35 kilometers. Every, I mean, again, there are people are going to be it's like... as hard really as you taught. make it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in retrospect, now that I've gone on this journey it's actually not that it's manageable and that's why the way I look at it to keep things in perspective the Moroccan brothers who run this every year Mm -hmm. and who've been winning it for the last seven years the long stage which I did which was 75 kilometers took me about 19 hours 30 minutes right the guy who won the race the Moroccan (laughs) finished the whole thing in 19 hours, 45 <laughs> minutes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know? It just puts things into perspective. Because those guys are obviously the athletes and they're racing. Mm-hmm. And I always love telling this story. On the last day is the actual marathon. So on every, every MDS every year, they make it that. On the last stage, it is an actual marathon. Yeah. So you got to run the 42. So, and they do it, they stagger it. So the fastest hundred take off two hours after the, the others. So what happens is, in most cases, they will run past you. So I was about, I'd say, 20, 25 kilometers in, again, running across this salt lake. It's just incredible. And I hear this noise in the back, so I turn around, and I could see the, the initial group coming, you know, the Moroccans and everyone. They're racing. They're properly racing. So I was like, I'm never going to get this opportunity. So I took off my GoPro, and I was like, as they come running past me, I'm going to run with them. Famous last word. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> it was literally like three seconds. I mean, I still have the video. And it's just like whew, like gazelles. They just glided past me. It was incredible. And, that, and again, I was like, wow, that's, just, that's how running is. And that's how I fell in love with the whole running
1: thing. Is that your goal, to run like the Moroccans do? I don't think I'll ever run like that again. <laughs> but, but you can dream, right? Yeah. can dream, yeah. So what is it that you, you want to go and find out what's in your mind, I feel?
2: It is. It's a, a large part of it is it's the, it's your perceived boundaries that actually don't exist, right? Now, I mean, you guys know this. I mean, but even with this last challenge that I just did... I mean, I'll tell you it, remind me to tell you it when I get to the end of the story. But the end of that challenge has shown me that there is, again, no boundary, Mm. right? And I think that's the beauty of this sport or this, whatever, this journey I'm on, that there's no boundary. You can just keep going in terms of what you put your mind towards.
1: Yeah. When you set a challenge, I don't feel you sit down and go, I want to do it in this time or can I do it in this time? You think, how far can I go?
2: yeah, it's, it's more about, okay, how far will this take me from not just the time aspect of it, but how far will it take me from a physical aspect, from a mental aspect, from, you know, a spiritual aspect, all, all of that stuff. Like, how can I extend all of that? And I think that well, I'm lucky enough and I'm grateful that I've, I found this nice little mix where these challenges for me are not just, it doesn't just take one box. You know what I mean? It takes a couple of boxes. And each one of them is a growth in a way.
1: So after MDS came UTMB Oman. Oman. Any time you want to spend there? Or did that Did that yeah, do I mean, anything for you?
2: Again, it was, I mean, that race in itself. I mean, Rob, you know this.
3: I know it very well. <laughs> 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 That's a
2: special race in itself. The yeah. way, I mean, it's brutal. I mean, no, there's no to do ways about it. it was it's a tough race, but the goal for me for that one was I was more in race mode for that. That was that one was racing because I had a goal that I had to reach a certain time because I knew I would get that automatic spot in UTMB uh, Chamonix. Mm-hmm. So that was I was more focused on let's put it the physical aspect of it, the racing aspect of it. I wanted to finish this race so I could get to UTMB Chamonix and but. Because of that, I, exa- I, again, pushed myself to the edge. And um, the best part about that race was, and again, Rob, I know you, you know this part. I think it's about after the 100 uh, kilometer, 105, when we do the mountain.
3: Yes, about 100, is this, the 130 route It's about 105 kilometer in. Yeah. Uh, just after a checkpoint in the school, yeah. they send you out, and you can see, in the daytime anyway, you can see just, it's a, it's a wall. Yeah. Well, there's no way we're going up there, and sure enough, you do go up there.
2: And you just see this little light just going up. Yeah. It's just the runners going, because I did it at night. Yes. And I'll never forget this experience. I mean, again, it's part of that journey. I think I'm halfway up the mountain, and my light runs out, right? So I take out another of my light, which had the battery one in, mm-hmm. because this one was a chargeable one that went out. So I'm like, I'll put on my battery one, and I'll recharge the other one. But the battery one wasn't working, so now I'm pitch black. I'm on the side of the mountain, and as you know, there's these red dots.
3: There's red dots and green dots, (laughs) and the red dots are (laughs) danger, (laughs) and the green dots are safety. But some of these dots, on that cliff edge, I I mean, I looked at a video the other day of me and Sean Hurley, and we're sitting backs against the wall, and if you took one big step forward, you'd be off the edge and gone.
2: Exactly. So I'm like I can't see the red dot, so or the green. I, <laughs> so what I decided to do was I I recharged my I started recharging my actual bat uh, head torch and I waited for the guys who were below me. So as they would come up, I'd go up with them a little bit, and then they'd go f- faster than me, and then I'd stop and then and wait for I'd, the next guys. You know, and then that became part of the challenge, and it was incredible because. Now, when I think about it as in terms of a lesson, it was just at that moment in time, all it mattered was just to get to the next, the next stage, or the next, get to the top, get to the top, let the light recharge. And I think that's the beauty of ultra, that we think that this is massive race, but it's actually all about these small moments, and you got to get to the next moment, you got to get to the next moment. And at that time, I was hallucinating, you know, because it's the middle of the night, I'm hallucinating, and I remember Marcus had said to me. Whatever you do, don't sit down and don't close your eyes. Because if you close your eyes, and you're on the side of the mountain, you could fall asleep. And I remember at this one of these stages, I still I could still see there was still some distance to go to the top. I, I literally was like, I'm like, I need to close my eyes. And I sat down, and I closed my eyes. And for like I don't know, it was four or five seconds, and then I heard Marcus's voice: "Open your eyes." <laughs> <laughs> And then that's how I got to the top, you know? And so, uh, but that taught me so much about, you know, just again, another thing about this ultra journey of just getting from moment to moment. And that taught me about that. And, and that race then got me to the next challenge, which was UTMB in so August.
3: What, what sparked your interest to go for UTMB Chamonix? You were looking to go for the full 171 course, right?
2: 171, yeah.
3: 171. Why, why that race? So
2: the other way I've broken down this particular journey of mine, and I think you guys could relate to this, is for me in terms of the distance, I've knocked off the distance in a certain way, especially on the single stage. Like I've done it, I haven't gone for the big one immediately, right? I've done, Mm -hmm. um, remember when we did that uh, Ultra, um, Backyard Ultra? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was training for that for MDS, so I did about 80 so did, that yes. mentally in my head. So I d- I'd done the marathon in November, so I'd done 40. Then I did that ultra and I hit 50. So it was, it's been that n- this natural progression of the distance in your head, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is important in terms of your growth as a runner, at least it's worked for me in that way. So it, the distance has become a natural progression in terms of, of my goal. So that UTMB Chamonix just clicked, ticked that box where I was like, okay, I've done 130 at Oman, Now I get an automatic uh, qualification for that, and I'm going to 170. And obviously, the race itself is iconic. Yeah, you know, it's like MDS. It's like ticking that for an ultra runner is ticking that box. Mm. It's a few races you want to do. So it it was that excitement as well that got me through it. And and one part that I remember about this again was, and again, it told me about the evolution of your growth and the evolution of the boundaries. um, in the last 5K, or last 3K, you remember this route, right, where it goes through that little village? Yeah. And um, b- by this time, my legs are short. I'm just walking. I'm shuffling. But I, I kept looking at my watch because I had the cutoff time in mind, mm-hmm. right, For to qualify for UTMB. So I I was like, I, was, I still had about three hours. So I was like, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm just going to finish this, and I'm going to... So I was okay, I was like, all right, let's just get to the finish, which is like two kilometers away or three kilometers. And I'm just walking along, and then suddenly I hear these two guys running past me. I'd seen them in the checkpoint before, and they were dead. And now this, I see them running past me, and they're running. So I was like, whoa, this is weird. So I, I was like, I started running with them. I'm like, what do, why are you guys running? And they're like, we're gonna miss the cutoff. I'm like, cutoff for what? And they're like, the UTMB cutoff. I'm like, no can't be. I looked at my watch. I'm like, I, I, we still have three hours. And he's like, no, mate, we, we miscalculated It's this hour. And, they're, and they kept running. And in my mind, I panicked. Because all my effort up to that point had been to qualify. Mm-hmm. So imagine this, I've panicked. And I'm assuming that I can't do anything, right? Because my legs are gone. I'm shuffling. I'm walking. And guess what I did? I sprinted. <laughs> I sprinted until I got up to the guys, and those guys had got up to another guy, and we all ran together to the next guy, sprinted, and we ran to the next guy, and the next guy's like, why are you guys running? And we're like, we're gonna miss the cutoff, and he's like, no, we're not, and he takes out the phone, and he's like, this is the cutoff, and it was three hours away. And the moment he said that, and I saw it on the phone, <laughs> guess what I did?
1: Stop walking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Strides in an ultra, I love <laughs> it.
2: And, and that again was a l- great lesson because I was like, it's what you tell your mind, mm-hmm. you know? And then uh, and just, that just became the next part of the growth. <laughs> you can keep going, man.
3: Your fastest one kilometer time trial in the ultra was at 125K. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> so obviously this year COVID-19 UTMB wasn't happening. We got a message, we have a coaches group and I can't remember the exact message now, I just went to have a look, but it was something like um, the date that you were going to do it on from Marcus now, the date you're going to do it on and then Akbar 200K. <laughs> and, and our messages in that group are very short. <laughs> they are almost code. Well, I think they are code for yep. anyone else who would ever be able to look at them. And I didn't even, uh, it didn't shock me, I got to say. Mate, can you remember what you thought?
3: The first thing I thought in my head I remember thinking, okay, so he's doing that for you to replace UTMB.
1: Right. But why two hundred?
3: That's the only thing that got me. No elevation. That's then. Yeah. Yeah, I figured that bit afterwards. Yeah.
1: I, I it didn't really hit me until a few days before when I think I said to Marcus what you got on the weekend. He goes, Oh, I'm supporting Akbar in the desert. And I thought, oh like, so what are you doing Saturday? And it was like, no no, it's gonna be two days. Yeah. <laughs> and At least. Like, oh yeah. Two hundred K. And then, obviously, we'd done Into the Light a few weeks before, and then I started piecing it together in my mind more, and I was like, hmm, this could be a real test. But yes. I didn't... Because I know you, mate, and I know you're like, you are just a full diesel. You will keep keep going. Yeah. It... Uh, I didn't really think that you wouldn't do it. And I have a question for you. Did you ever think, before going into this, that you wouldn't do it? So
2: it's crazy right when I thought of the idea of running 200 and it was for the simple reason that Rob you said Mm -hmm. I'm just going to replace the UTMB I've been training for it so at minimum I'm going to go for 170 with the no elevation I can do 200 yeah so on paper it looks fine and I talked to Marcus about it and obviously Marcus was like let's go for it but I was like
3: we're just going to gloss over the 25 degrees celsius difference in temperature as well
2: exactly (laughs) so Obviously, Marcus was like, well, we need to get you heat. We need to start acclimatizing you for heat. Mm -hmm. So one month before, we started doing the heat runs. So like literally during the day while I'm working, um, at 12 o'clock, instead of going for lunch, I'd go for an hour run in the heat. Mm -hmm. So it's funny you mentioned, the, because I'll answer your question. The day you guys did Into the Light was on my TP. I was doing 30 kilometers on that same loop. And Marcus, we were still trying to figure out how we were going to do this. This was early on in that month, one month before the 200. And the way we were doing it is, I, would, I, I, I was going to park my car um, with the water and everything in it. I parked it under the tree, and I, I was going to run 15 kilometers out, mm-hmm. and then run 15 kilometers back. Pretty much on the same path that you guys were, but I had no idea you were doing it into the light. Like Marcus hadn't told me secret. Exactly. So I ran the 15 kilometers, and I saw you guys in the distance. And I was like, who are these guys running? And then Jack drove, back, drove over to me because he saw this guy running in the distance. So he drove back to me, and he said, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm training. And he's like, this is weird. And then he's, I'm like, what are you doing? And he told me, like, don't tell anyone you, you guys are doing into the light. And I'm like, OK. But I was like, OK, what? but I had to run back to the car. But in, I, I reached the 20 mark and I just collapsed. I ran out of water and I've, I don't think I've ever told this story. I think I mentioned it to Marcus. I definitely haven't mentioned this to my wife because she <laughs> wouldn't have let me do the 200 kilometers. She doesn't listen, though, Yeah, right. she doesn't listen anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I ran out of water. This is next to the bike track. And this is about 12 o'clock, 12.30. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... Oh, the other thing was I had my phone on me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to call 999. Or then I was like, no, I'm going to call Jack because he's here. He's helping you guys. So I took out my phone. But you know when you have the phone on your side and it, 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 it gets... Disabled. Stopped? So it's like you can't use your phone for 15 minutes. Perfect. So I was like, okay, this is a sign. <laughs> I need to do something for the next 15 minutes. I need to survive. But I'm panicking. Yeah. So for the next 15 minutes, I'm just walking towards my car, but I'm panicking because I have no water. And I think I'm going to die. And I, I kid you not, the car drove up out of the, like a mirage. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's someone from Inner Fight. But it was, it was, a, it was a, a Bedouin or a local. And he drove up to me. And he's like, what the? Hell? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and all I said to him was, I need some water. And he opens his fridge. Uh, and he gave me two balls of water. I, to this day, I still don't think I don't know if it was a dream or not. But it, it wasn't because I had water. But then that water got me to the car. Yeah. And I drive back, and I drive back to D- Dubai. And I obviously then I find out that Marcus and you guys did that into the light. And I waited a few days, and then I called Marcus, and I was, and I said to Marcus, I'm like, how are we going to do this? Like, at that point, after that run, the day you guys did your 150, was my first doubt. Okay. I was like, okay, I don't know how we're going to do this. And that's when Marcus was like, okay, we're going to break it down. And we're going to do three and a half kilometer loops. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to basically drown yourself in water. So the next week, Marcus, but Marcus was like, I want you to do it with someone else. I want support there. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do this by myself because I need to prove to myself that in my mind, this is possible. So the next weekend, I went out to the same track. And you know where the, that little place, uh, the shady place is where guys stop, the bikers, the place. Yeah. I parked my car inside that, right? And I had, I had full water, whatever, for 35 kilometers. And then what I did was, and there's that little hill that goes up that's right, yeah. So that became, I would do three and a half kilometers out, back to the car, douse myself with water, and then I'd do three kilometers, three and a half, and that's how I did 10 rounds. And then I finished it. I finished it in about five hours. And I went back to Marcus and I said, I think we may have cracked the code. <laughs> because that's all it took, right? Because that was Just the break it down. Thing a small down. little chunks and just having this water thing every three and a half kilometers mm-hmm. because that keeps your core temperature down
1: yeah my question was a little bit loaded and here's why i have access to your training peaks <laughs> and what amazes me is in the 90 days before so three months leading up to your run do you know what your average weekly duration was
2: i i don't you know what's funny i don't look at the numbers I would love to
1: know what it is. It was six hours and 49 minutes. Average, week. w- average weekly duration. Average weekly duration. Now your biggest week was at the start. So in uh, the middle of June, you did a 75 kilometer run week, which was eight hours, 26. And in the middle of that, it's funny, the week after Into the Darkness... The week of and the week after, you did a seven and a half hour a week, both weeks. So you obviously had that scare. The week after that, you did two hours. And the week before the big one, you did just under six hours. Going into a week, obviously <laughs> two days, where you did 41 hours, <laughs> 29. So my question was, <laughs> were you worried? Because you're training like someone who knows, I've got this in the bag.
2: And you know what, even better, that, that two weeks as you said, when I did two hours, guess what Marcus is telling me? You need to go run more.
1: Do, do you need- know why I know he's telling you this? Because he's telling me, Tom, how the fuck do I get this guy to run more? What you know, he's, <laughs> we're discussing it on, on a weekly basis, our Thursday morning runs, because we used to see you yeah. running up the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd spend the next. 10, 15 minutes discussing your long runs for the weekend. How are we going to break you down? How are we going to get you to do double days? Blah, blah, blah. And then next week, how did Akbar do? Nothing. The guy doesn't want to run. I'm like, interesting. Can
2: I tell you something? It's very interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really important like, learning. Because like you say, you don't look at the numbers. Yeah. Like, I'm a I fool. just go based on what Marcus tells me. Yeah. And
2: that's, I don't even go back. Well, I go back to TP to just look at the big numbers the big picture. I don't, I don't dig deep into it, obviously, like you guys, because it doesn't, it, doesn't make, I mean, it doesn't even make sense to me. But I think what was important going into this, and I said this to Marcus, I was like, I've cracked the code. I know how I'm going to do the challenge. But up till that point, A, I don't want to go back to Al-Qudra. So I, st- I was like, I'm not going back there. Uh. Because I'm, I'm only going to face, I'm only going to face the devil when I have to. Mm-hmm. So up till that point, I'm staying away from him. So that was one reason. And then the other reason was I was like, it, it. I was like, I'm gonna, and this goes back to the earlier things that I've learned. I'm gonna take it moment, moment by moment. And I think when I tell you guys how I broke down the race of the 200, it plays into that. Because I'm so every time those runs that you're talking about. The numbers don't look that big, right? But when I'm doing those particular numbers, they mean a lot. Yeah. Because I'm focused on that run. So if it's that, that six-kilometer run at 12 o'clock, mm-hmm. for that moment and for that time, that's all that matters to me. So I'm going to think, how am I going to feel in that run? And that's all that's important to me. And I think that's... I don't know. You know I mean, you guys know, everyone works to a different beat. That... That kind of methodology and that kind of mindset uh, like helps me you know it gets me it gets me into proper shape it gets me into proper mindset where I don't have to I don't have to feel like I'm overworking myself I feel like I almost want to be I want to leave it out in the arena when you have to right and up till that point you just do as much as you can to get to that
1: point I've actu- Yeah, I've been with you a few times on runs and I've never seen you panic, stress, be miserable once. I've never seen it.
3: Yeah, I think we actually said, I remember, <laughs> this goes back to that Backyard Ultra and it was the furthest you'd ever run, yeah. I think, single, when you were training for MDS. Yeah. And you finished and you were, must have been freezing. You hung around for a long time. when well, I, I, I couldn't still move. <laughs> you couldn't move. You were wrapped up in a sleeping bag and all I could see was your head poking out. And throughout the night, Anytime I was back and looking at you, just had the biggest smile on your yeah. face. For nothing. For no reason. Like you're <laughs> just lying in a sleeping bag. but yeah. You wouldn't stop smiling.
2: And it was incredible. And I, and I remember
3: that, and
2: obviously, especially you, Rob, I mean, you've, you've always been the benchmark for us in terms of what you're achieving and what you're doing. So it's, it's always, even during that, I could tell where your mindset was. Yeah. And, you know, and how methodical you were about everything and how you went about it and how... You were carefree. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when we walked up to the to the backyard ultra, and you had your little cooler box, and you had written down all your instructions, and you were just very careful, very calm, and very. And I was like, you know, that's that's how you get things done. And you know, I, and I learned from that as well. You just as long as you have a plan in place and you have a process in place, that's what that's what gets
3: you to the end. Yeah, control the things you can, and then leave the rest to absolutely the devil. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Would you change anything in your preparation for the 200?
2: Um, Considering that I finished it, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. You know, so, I th- but I think, to obviously, to give credit where it's due, the, what you guys are putting together in terms of the Run Strong program, the little things that go into it. Like, I've told a lot of people this going into since the challenge. A lot of people ask me how, Right? And again, people look at the, the big picture, 200, degrees, wow, incredible. How did you do it? But, and this is, again, the beauty of it. What I tell people is there's a process to it. I could only do that because for the previous eight months, you guys busted my balls in terms of literally not just the running part, but the small things, the exercises, the flexibility, the, you know, doing the yoga or doing the, all the little parts where no one is looking, yeah. right? That all adds up. And I can't emphasize enough how much that means because when you're in the middle of a challenge, you're not gonna think about it at that time mm. because you're in the middle, you only focus, but that stuff is there. I mean, I'll, rem- I'll, I'll never forget, uh, Tom, you said to me, I think it was after UTM, I, I know where it was, I think it was uh, right before UTMB or after UTMB, and I was thinking about the spine, remember? I'd, and I was like, I don't know how am I going to do this or if I should do this, but you said to me, you're like, it's in your legs. And I'll never forget that because you have to trust at some point that the work you've put in is in you now and you just got to trust it, yeah. you know? So, but to do something like this, and that goes for everything in life, and that's what I love about ultras, is transferable to life. You still got to put the work in, man. You know, you got to still put in those hours, whichever way it is, depending on your body, depending on your mindset. But you're not going to achieve 200 kilometers in the desert just by rocking up one day. There's a proper process to it. I, I personally feel that I could do the 200, not because I trained for that six months, but because of everything that I learned when I finished that marathon in November. Yeah. That's where it started
1: from. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So mate, let's get to the 200. Let's do it. <laughs> that's the fun part. We know why? UTMB plus at elevation. Around Al Kudra, middle of summer, we banged on about it here for 3 months now how hot it is. 200k. How do you how do you begin a run that's going to take you 2 days? So and I think that goes
2: into, there stories too. When you run 200, there are different, different stories to it. So again, I went into it thinking I'm going to take it as it comes, moment by moment. Like literally the first part of it is literally going to be the first loop. We're going to do the first 50. So the way I'd broken it down, and then as you know, everything falls apart, the way I'd envisioned the race or the challenge was... I was going to do the, we we're going to start at six. We we're going to do the first 50, and that would get me, and halfway through the first 50 would be around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And then that's when we turn into that loop, or I'd run three and a half kilometers, and Marcus would be there, and he'd down me with the water, and then that, that's how we do the rest of the 50. And then once I've done that 50, then the next part is I'm going to go from 10 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock in the evening because of that heat, so it's going to be the heat play. Mm -hmm. So everything that we trained for for heat would be that portion of it. So I was actually breaking it down into hours rather than distance. So I was thinking I'm going to do blocks of the day, right? And then whatever that distance is, I'm at peace with that. That's how the plan was gonna
3: be. And that's probably smarter because as soon as you stop or if you need to tie a shoelace, then your pace is off and you're not achieving the same distance that you thought and then you could break down very, very quickly from that. Exactly.
2: So, and that's how the first 50 went, right? And so that was fine. But then, as you know, no plan is ever the same and then that's when everything turned into something completely different. (laughs) 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 And then it became a completely different story. And then the story was, and again, it was, it's, it's the, so I, t- I said to Marcus, so the 50 kilometer loop, the first one we did was um, the, the way you conventionally do it, right?
3: Clock, uh, anti. clockwise. Clockwise. Yeah.
2: But then I said, the second one, I'm going to do anti. And in, oh, Mark oh, Marcus said, like, OK, fine. And the, everyone turned around for it. So we all turned around for it, but we, what didn't we realize was that at, when you turn around for it at, at 11 or 12, you're running straight into the sun. So that part from 50 to 80 mm-hmm. was just brutal. I mean, I, it was 45, 50 degrees. It was just horrendous. But we're getting doused every three and a half kilometers. So you're getting freezing water over your head. But what had happened with me was at the 50 kilometer mark, because of the heat and everything, my shoes had come off. The sole had come off. So i changed shoes. So I'd gone from on to Solomon. And it's funny, I mentioned to Marcus before, when I'd packed my bag the night before, I, I had my old on running, the one I'd ran the MDS in. So as I was putting my shoes in, I was like, should I put my MDS shoes in or should I put the... Uh, because I trained in the Solomon. I, I was like, no, no, I'm going to put the Solomon in because if my new on go, I'm going to put on my old on But if they might go as well. So I'm just going to stick with the Solomon. And they'll get me through the challenge. But I knew in the back of my mind the Solomon is a tighter shoe. And my feet would have expanded by the 50 kilometer mark. But when the shoe did go, my new one, and I put my feet into this old uh, Solomon, there wasn't enough space. Mm -hmm. So my my feet constricted. And then on top of that, I was getting doused by water. So the water was starting to pool at the bottom of my feet. So from 50 to 80, it was, it was brutal, so, but I didn't realize what was going on with my feet. What was happening with my feet was my feet were falling apart because they were just sitting in a pool of water, and they were just getting clammy at the bottom of my, you know, and it was just the blisters were starting to come out. So I think at the 80-kilometer mark, I, I said to Marcus, I'm like, there's something wrong with my feet. And I think you were there at that time.
1: Yeah, I think I was.
2: And he, and he took off the shoes, and he didn't say anything to me. He said, no, it's fine, mate. Just put on another pair of shoes. So I put on another pair of shoes, but I knew there was something going on. I knew it was blisters.
1: And um, You actually tried on my, I had a pair of yeah. cloud surfers in my car. Yeah. Probably, and what, six sizes bigger than you <laughs> <six? laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, you wanted a different pair of shoes. So I was yeah, like, I was
2: like, I can't run in these shoes anymore because there's no space. Mm. And I could feel the blisters coming on. And, I, and again, that's why I'm, wearing, I'm still wearing socks, because essentially the, f- the skin came off the bottom, right? And, I, and I can, I'll never forget it. There was one step where I felt it pop. It was, it mm. And then I'm just, I'm just stepping on... And I, people have asked me, they're like, how does this compare to the pain you went through in MDS? And I'm like, it's not comparable, because this is a different kind of pain. This is like... It's something that's just shooting up your entire leg because you're just stepping on raw skin. Every step. Every single step. So from eighty to the hundred kilometer mark, it was just I mean I don't know how to describe it, but I was in Cuckoo Land.
3: <laughs> so I have a question about this. So something like that happens at eighty kilometers and you know in the back of your mind you've still you're not even halfway there. How do you process that to then well, if I'll you tell know how you. much pain? No, no. I,
2: I, the way I processed it was by, I'm going to do the 100, and then I'm going home. That was it. I, honest to God, I mean, you can ask Marcus this. I was convinced, and I want to tell you this, because I want to, I want to hear your reaction to this, and this is, this is another part, cool part of the next story. So in my mind, I've, I've decided, however I get to 100, I get to Zad's, I've done 100, good job but this stuff is over mm-hmm. we're going home so all my mind and all my uh, everything that i had was to just to get to Zad and finish a hundred so i get to zads i finish a hundred and marcus comes over to me and he says what's up and i'm like i can't talk i'm just gone like i can't put a sentence together he's like go have a shower so I go have a shower and I come back and you guys are sitting around the table. Now, you have to understand, I'm s- so in a deep, in a mental hole right now that I've convinced myself that this thing is over. Everyone's gone. And as you remember, at that time around that, everyone's leaving anyway.
1: Yeah, the think they're starting to shut the shop yeah. and... So well, I'm the 100K guys had finished. Everyone's gone. So it was a bit of a finishing feeling. Yeah, so
2: I'm like, this thing is done. Mm. We're all going home. Good job, crazy idea, it's not gonna happen, let's all go home. So I come out of my shower and you guys are sitting around the table. (laughs) I sit down with my towel, and I'm looking at all three of you and you bring some food out. And I'm saying in my mind, okay, so these guys are waiting for me to tell them that this thing is over and we're going home. That's 110%, that's what I've told myself. Mm that the only reason these guys are sitting around is because they just want me to say, I'm going home, and they're like, great, let's all go home. So I'm like, I need to build up the courage to say to Marcus, we're all going home. So that's why I stood up and I said, Marcus, can we have a word? That's right, yes. So I went to the side with Marcus, and in my mind, all I'm thinking is I'm going to sit down, I'm going to tell Marcus, "Um, thanks, mate, we're all going home. And Marcus is going to turn around and say, great job, let's go home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you really were in dreamland, huh? huh? You really were in dreamland.
2: Yeah, totally. No, in my mind, that was, the, that was the reality. So when I say that sentence, Marcus, the first thing that Marcus says to me is, why? And I kid you not, and I've said this to Marcus, that's why I had this conversation with Marcus before, because I wanted to see what he thought. The moment he said why, there was something in, literally in my head that snapped, and I got confused, because like, what? I, I went into shock. I was like, w- wh- why? No, this thing is done. We're going home. And he's like, and again, he said, why do you want to go home? And then something started moving in my head. And then obviously, and again, people ask me this. They're like, but before I get to that story, I just want to ask Rob, like, what, what were you thinking when you were looking at me in that state?
3: When you got up and said to Marcus, <laughs> yeah. we need to have a chat, I think the, the, the exact words you were, uh, Marcus, mate, we need to have a chat. Yeah. And so you went off to the side, and I think, I can't remember who was to my left, it might be been Josh, or it might have been Ben, whoever it was it, ben, was. it was Ben. It was Ben to my yeah, Ben was there.
2: No, because I'm thinking, poor Ben, he's been with me the whole day, he's been a trooper, yeah. the poor guy's just sitting there, he just wants me to say, we're going home, so he can freaking go home and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, I, I we, we had a chat at the table and we just thought, I think, I think he's gonna turn and tell Marcus that he's done. And then we all said, I think we know how that conversation's gonna go. <laughs> he's not done. He thinks he's done, but he's not done. And
2: that's the incredible part because, and Marcus and I have had these conversations before because I had the same conversation in UTMB. We've had these conversations in one of the training runs. And a lot of people have asked me like, what did he say? And I've said to people, it's not rocket science. Mm it's not some incredible speech. I mean, he didn't, I mean, he didn't do some motivational speech that got, all he said to me was.
3: It wasn't like Friday Night Lights then.
2: <laughs> but he literally, all he said to me was, why do you have to make a decision now, right? Think about this and let's take a break. Just let your mind settle. You can take a break. But then the other thing that he said that resonated with me, and he said that to me, the sentence that basically is, what did you expect, <laughs> right? You signed up for this. Yeah. I mean, what did you expect? I mean, he didn't say it in so many ways. I mean, he's very nice about it. But in my mind, I'm like, did you think this was going to be a better roses? <laughs> You're trying to run 200 kilometers in the desert. Mm-hmm. How did you think this was going to play out? and then obviously he said some things that are personal to me my why's he just all he said was he reiterated my why's that i run for myself i run for my kids i run for my charity that's all he said and so that my mind is like okay and then it starts rolling and then it's like and you literally that picks you up from i mean you know this it literally picks you up from the from this bottomless pit that you think you're in and then and the other thing was, I, then I'd rationalize it. I'm like, wait, this isn't a race. Because I kept, the mind had convinced myself that because we were, in a, we were doing this, it was a race, and I had to keep going, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was a race. It was a challenge. But in my mind, so what's a two-hour sleep in the grand scheme of things? Like, I remember, even in UTMB Uman, just before that mountain, Marcus said to me, he's like, mate, lie down for 15, 20 minutes. But the thing for us is, like we get so caught up in the in the moment of the and the, the adrenaline and the race and everything that you forget to think that there's a rational way to get out of this mm-hmm. and I think this is again a testament to you guys because you've experienced this before, and you've gone into these dark holes that you know how to react to this that all Marcus did was was rationalize the process, and all he said to me was, "Let's just take a two hour nap and then and then." I think you remember, the, I don't know if you remember this part. We went to the side. Again, it's an amazing story. Like, the we go to this small, we thought it was going to be this uh, less noisy part of Al-Qudra. That's right, yeah. And then you have these cars, like, screaming around. Like, drag, drag racing. Drag racing, and there's this crazy, you know, it felt like it was a nightclub. And we're trying to sleep in this moment. But that two hours, I didn't sleep. but. It was enough for me to kind of settle down and get to the next moment. And then I remember Marcus woke me up. And, you know, typical Marcus stuff. All he did was he picked up a new pair of shoes because now I, all the reinforcements had come in. So all my shoes had come. <laughs> all my old shoes. Because the feet were going to be the issue now. Yeah. So he, he brought out my original ones that I'd trained in, that I'd ran the original marathon in, in a cycle. So he took out that and he just... I don't know if you remember this, but just I just sat it. up and he just threw them next to me. Yeah. And he's like, put them on. So he didn't give me a moment to think. So I just put the socks on and I put the, I put the shoes on. And then he gives me a Red Bull, obviously. <laughs> and he's like, um, uh, walk to the mosque. We'll see you at the mosque. And as you guys know, the mosque is 10 kilometers away. Yeah. So I'm on autopilot right now. So I just get up and I'm like... He went." I'll just shuffle to the, but in my back of my mind, I'm like, I, I'm still, you know, it's either here or there. So I'm like, okay, you know what? I know what Marcus is doing, and this is, again, it's like a mini battle with Marcus. I'm like, I know what he's doing, he's playing with my head. I'm gonna go to the mosque, keep him happy, and then I'm gonna be like, good shot, good, good effort, mate, we're going home. So I'm like, fine. So I'll, I'll start shuffling towards the mosque. So I start walking towards the mosque and on that bike track, mm-hmm. right? And uh, in the middle of the night, this is three o'clock in the morning, this guy rocks up on his bicycle, full inner fight gear, <laughs> head to toe in inner fight.
1: We still don't know who this is. And he's,
2: and he's Pakistani, and he's like, Akbar, I'm like, yeah? He's like, um, I've been looking for you all day. I've been cycling around trying to find you. And I I've, I've finally found you. So do you mind if I run with you? <laughs> and I'm like, May, I'm in no shape to run, but <laughs> sure, you can... Shuffle. You can sh- come with me. So again, about five kilometers in...
3: This was, this was at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. I remember this, because I'd come and I'd napped with you. Yeah. Um,
2: I tested out your pillow.
3: Tested out my pillow, yeah. Luckily, I had it in the car. Uh, and then you woke up, and I thought, you know what? I'd, he's off. He's going to shuffle. He's got enough people here. I'm, I'm going to go home. And then this happened just after I left.
2: Exactly, so this guy walks up, and he's, so he starts walking with me, and then we get to the five, but Marcus then, because I was, I was barely moving. So I think Marcus realized, so he moved the car back to the five kilometer mark, and he's waiting there. So we, we walk up, and this guy's on his bicycle, so he says to Marcus, can I put the bicycle at the back, on the back of Ben's car, because I want to run with Akbar? So they're like, sure. And then they go to the mosque. So then this guy starts just walking with me, but he's walking behind me. He doesn't say a word, so I don't know his name. If I, I mean, again, he might have had a conversation with me, but I have no idea. So we shuffle to the mosque, and this guy's behind me, and now it's just, you know, it's twilight zone, because Marcus is sleeping by this time, because I've taken so long, he's, a, he's a fallen asleep. The, fr- the Saturday morning prayers are going. I'm, I'm literally waking up Ben and Marcus, This guy is behind me, who's in full inner fight gear, who I think is Marcus's client. (laughs) So then we walk up and Marcus didn't say a word to this guy. So I'm like, wow, this is really random. Why isn't he saying anything to his friend? And then obviously later Marcus is like, this is really weird. Why isn't he talking to his, why isn't Akbar talking to his friend? So we get to the mosque and then I'm like, okay, I haven't really run with this guy. And I said to Marcus, so now Marcus is like, we're going to do the loop again. So Marcus says to me, keep going. And I'm like, no mate. For some reason I said, I want to go back to Zad's because now I'm, I'm playing with Marcus. So I'm thinking, I'm going to go back, back to Zad's and I'm going to say 120, great job, <laughs> great effort. We're all going home. So that was the plan. And then I was, so I start shuffling back. So the 20 kilometers took me four hours. But this whole 20 kilometers, this guy is walking behind me, not saying a word, in full inner fight gear. I <laughs> mean, it's wild. So we get to Zad's, and we have breakfast. So Marcus is like, OK, let's have breakfast. So we have breakfast. And then this guy is like, um, I'm going to go to work. And then he leaves. And I say to Marcus, mate, you didn't say anything to your client. And he's like, mate, you didn't say anything to your friend. and. The- so that kind of distracted me from what was going on and then I, was like, so then I was like okay, what are we going to do next in terms of the challenge so I'm like okay you know what we're at Zad's now there's that, that Indian spice restaurant so I said to Marcus let me run out a kilometer half and then me, run, let me run back so let's do three kilometer loops I run back to the shade I'll have some water and then we'll see how it goes just to keep Marcus happy and so Marcus said to me later, I mean, that's why I had this conversation before you guys. I asked him, and Marcus said he was panicking because he thought it was the worst idea. <laughs> because he was like, he wanted to, me to continue that loop.
3: So you're away from the finish line. Correct. Yeah.
2: And he wanted me in the middle of the desert, and then we do the loops. So I have no choice. Mm-hmm. But it was, he knew it was still my decision and he respected my decision so he was like fine we'll do this but he was he was uncomfortable with that so he's like okay but he was on top of it but then what happened was and then both of us realized it just fell into place Rickson came and Rickson had you'd uh, tom you'd booked him a run that morning just a random 10 15k run so he's like i'm going to do that with you so i'm like mate i'm just doing these slick three kilometer loops but he's like that's fine so i'm like okay so then So then I was like, okay, I'm going to do 10 kilometers with Rickson. But then while we were doing that, two of my mates showed up out of nowhere. And they were like, we want to run with you. And then what, and then Marcus realized, and it kind of clicked into my head. This is how we're going to get the 80 done. We're just going to do these loops, but I'm going to have motivation because I'm going to have these people coming in. And that's funny how these things work. And that has. But then around, I think it was around 12, because it was the hottest part of the day, no one showed up. Mm. And then I I could tell Marcus was panicking again. So Marcus did one walk with me. And this was a kilometer because now is the heat of the day. So we were doing kilometer loops. We were only doing two kilometers, but he's walking with me because I was pretty down at this time, but he's talking, he's chatting away. And I've never heard Marcus chat so much. I'm like, why is he talking so much? But then I realized he's just trying to get, keep my energy levels going until someone else shows up. And I start running with them again, and then that's just became... But then it, it goes back to the same thing. And then my mind clicked into it, just moment by moment. And then that second day, I say it's a grind. It was a grind. I did 80 kilometers, but that 80 kilometers was a grind. But it was amazing because the 200 kilometers at that point became irrelevant. It didn't matter anymore. All that mattered because I tricked my mind you can do a kilometer and a half, mm. right? So I'd run a kilometer and a half, and the cool, cool thing was when it started getting darker, when I'd turn around, I'd see the lights in the distance. So then I was like, I'd just run back to the lights. So then it just became these little loops. So that, what, that's what got me to 130, that's what got me to 140, that, and then I was like, I'll get, and then I, but still the battle was going on in my head and I was like, okay, fine. When you get to 150, <laughs> you're done. Great effort, you know, you did 50 more than ever, and then that's amazing. But when I got to 150 and a friend showed up, and I was like, okay, I'll just do 153 with him. But then when I did the 153, I was like, you always wanted to do the 170. And then I went to 170, and then when I got to 170, then you're like... What's 30 more? 200 is in sight. But the beauty of that is, it's just breaking it down. So 200 became irrelevant. Know, so that's, that's basically, that was, the, that was the last part of the story. And then the last part of the story was, I mean, all I can say is just, it was just magic.
1: This know? is a very powerful part of the story. Yeah. Like, we'd love you to tell it as, S- as you remember it as clearly as you can. So it's around, I guess, midnight
2: now, and I've got 11 kilometers left. So, um, I can see the distance. I I know I can get the 200 now, but I I know my feet are gone. And I still need to break it down. So I said to Marcus, should we continue the loops? And he's like, "Um, no, let's let's break down the 11. Let's do six on the track, and I'll run with you. And then we'll do five. So I'm like, OK, cool. So we did the first. We ran three on the bike track. And we ran back three, and now I've got five left. So I sit down, and um, I'm pretty much, I'm, a, I'm, in a, I'm, a, I'm in a zone now, but I'm kind of taking everything in. But I know my feet are gone. Like I'm just going to get to a 200, and then I'm going to collapse. And I, I feel like I just need to get through this next moment. So I'm just, I'm just gathering myself. I'm just emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. I'm just building myself up for this last five, because this last five kilometer feels like a lot, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. So I look up into the night sky, and I see something. And um, so Chris, Mark, Marcus, and um, Ben, uh, no, not Ben. Um, was it Ben? Or, who's the guy who's doing the, the? Matt. Matt. Yeah. Matt's there, and a f- another friend of mine is there. So they're all sitting around. And I see something in the sky, and they all mention this. So I, but I don't say anything. Um, So just to give you guys a backstory, and this goes back to one of the why's that I, why I do this journey, is I run from a charity. I have a charity in in Pakistan that my uh, wife and I started in the name of our late daughter, um, Zara, it's called the ZB Foundation, and basically we provide newborn screening tests to newborn babies born in Pakistan. And this has been a passion project of ours for the last seven years because Zara, who would be adopted from Pakistan, passed away when she was only four months old from a very rare metabolic disorder and later on we found out that if she had taken this heel prick test, which is basically whenever a baby is born you just take a small blood sample from the heel of a baby and you take it away for blood, it's very, it's so common that it's not even thought of, like in the western world it's taken for granted, like parents don't even know about it You know, it's done automatically, but all you do is you just test the baby to make sure there's no abnormalities and whatever, and it's taken for granted, but in a place like Pakistan, it's never been taken for granted because of healthcare, third world, whatever you want to call it. So obviously, Zara had never had this heel prick test, so the doctors never knew what was wrong with her, but if she'd had this heel prick test, we would have known that she has a metabolic disorder, and maybe we could have done something. Mm -hmm. So then we realized that that's the reason why Zara came into our lives, because we had to do something in our memory. So we started this charity where now we provide newborn screening for every baby born in Pakistan. So that's what the charity does. So I run for that. You know, that's, I, that's a powerful why. And that kicks in in moments like that. And um, this is where one strong gets pretty heavy and very personal. <laughs> but... Um, The night that Zara passed away, Danny and I were sitting outside, and um, we saw a shooting star. And I thought that that was a symbol that Zara was going to live. But Danny had had a conversation with Zara just before, where basically, as a mother, she said, "You don't. I don't want you to suffer anymore, and you can go in peace." So Zara, um, Danny said that was. Zara saying goodbye, and it was, because we got a call from the hospital that Zara had passed away, so in the whole seven, eight years since then, and putting the charity together, the shooting star is a symbol of um, this journey that we're on with Zara, and um, so like, even MDS, the long night, when I was in a deep hole, I saw a shooting star in the Sahara desert, I don't think I've... I don't remember, because, but I feel like in Oman, when I was on the side of the mountain, I'm not sure because memory doesn't serve me right, but I think there was one there, but I'm not sure. It wasn't clear or whatever. Anyway, when I did the 200 kilometers and I was five kilometers away from the finish, when I looked up in the sky, I saw a shooting star. So it all came together full circle and Chris saw it and uh, everyone else saw it and obviously they mentioned it, but I didn't say anything. But I knew that the last part was for that. And that's what makes this ultra journey so beautiful because you end up in these moments. So that last, I mean I've said this to Marcus and Marcus knows this, that's five kilometers of, you can look at my TP and how, much, <laughs> how many kilometers I've run since the last two years. That five kilometers is the most smoothest and the most perfect Five kilometers, I may ever run. On shattered feet, shattered legs, I ran the 205. I ran it very smoothly. The 205, 2.5 kilometers out, I was pacing myself. I turned around. I started running back, and about a kilometer and a half, I just gassed it, and I just went for it, and it was effortless. And I just went through, and I. It was literally—I was running. I could feel Marcus behind me. He was videoing me, but I was just—it was just—it was just—I was floating. And as I crossed the 200 mark, and I saw in my uh, on my watch. I just lift my, lifted my arms, and it was right um, where the bike track starts, you mm-hmm. know. And you have this finish line thingy that's still there. And it was around, and I and I just, I, just when I, as I went past 200, my head exploded with this sound of cheering. And I know the guys were like whistling, and, but it sounded, it was like my head was about to explode. It, was so, it felt like I was in a stadium full of people just screaming and shouting and cheering and like, wow. wow. And I mean, the only way I can describe it is, and I I've put it in my Instagram. I guess it was, you know, it was the angels and it was Zara just cheering. It was, it was magical. It was beautiful. And um, that's how the 200 kilometers ended. It was, and um, the way I tell people now this is that that's, how, that's what this builds up to. That you can reach moments in your life, in this life. You can happen now. You know, if you put, if you think far enough and you work for it hard enough, you, and you visualize it and you believe in it, and you base it on some things important that, be- that are important to you, your family, your community. You can have moments like this, which are basically magic. And I'm sure, you know, know, everyone can do that. Everyone can have these moments.
1: Pretty heavy. (laughs) I had goosebumps (laughs) goosebumps there. (laughs) Incredible, mate. Incredible. I think that's uh, a place we'll leave it this (laughs) week. Akbar, thank you so much for coming on. You obviously have shown an incredible amount of staying power and endurance and well name everything that all the characteristics that we say ultra running can can give to someone you are just displaying them on another level.
2: Thank you mate but I also want to you know just mention that and I've, I've said it to you guys before but I didn't do this by myself you know there's a community and everything that you guys stand for you know each one of you Marcus you Tom Rob what you guys bring to the table in terms of what you're creating over here with it goes beyond running, you know? And I think you guys know this, you guys feel this, it's a community, we run for each other, we run for, as a community, we bring the best out of each other. So these moments of magic that I'm having, and this, to be honest, this journey of mine is gonna go on for a long time, because I've got, I've got a rhythm to it. I, I can see that every six months, I'm gonna do these ultras in all parts of the world, but you guys are gonna be part of this journey, because you're obviously gonna be training me, making fun of me, you know? <laughs> but that's the thing that gets, you know, it's a community that builds this up. Yeah. So I want to thank you guys for that as well, and I think it's what you guys are doing over here is it's very special, and it allows me to continue on my journey. So thank you for that as well.
1: Right, it's our pleasure, Amazing. especially when you execute something as good as you did, mate. People can go onto Instagram and follow you at aknak06. That is a k n. A Q06, and then the foundation that you run for is at the ZB Foundation. That's right. On Instagram as well. And I advise everyone listening to go on to Akbar's Instagram and just go to his uh, last post. He's walking there with his lovely wife, and you've written some words there that continue on in the comments that if you have 10 minutes, if you don't, challenge notes you should make 10 minutes and go and read um, what you've written there and if you don't want to go run an ultra after that you haven't got a heart or a soul <laughs> I believe and you should of course donate to the foundation yeah uh, exactly go and check out the foundation and uh, mate wh- next time you decide what you're going to do we'll get you back on and book some holiday time, <laughs> <laughs> some holiday time. <laughs> sounds good mate thank you so much thank, thank you, you so nice much for, for coming on thank, thank you man. very much we'll see you all next week